0: Man, thank you, worship team. Thank you, thank you. Oh, man, second week of Advent. Can you believe how time is flying by? Welcome to December, everybody. Unbelievable. Well, probably like many of you, um, I've been listening to a whole lot of Christmas music lately. Um, And this week, I ran across this version of The Little Drummer Boy from the 1970s um, by Bing Crosby and David Bowie. Anybody know, know this song? Anybody? Okay, we got, we got a few in here. Yeah, see, I, I know I've heard this song before, but I guess I've never paid attention to it. Um, but the song, if you don't know, starts with, with Bing and Bowie singing Little Drummer Boy, pum, 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 all that, right? And, and a few lines into it, David Bowie starts singing over the top of this song. And I do a very weak Bowie impression, so I'm just going to say it. But he sings over the top of the song a question. Peace on earth, can it be? Years from now, perhaps we'll see. Anybody know that song now? Is that ring a bell? Maybe now. And you know, I've probably, again in listening to Christmas songs, heard this song a bunch of times, but because I knew we were talking about peace this week, all of a sudden my ears perked up. And I heard that question, peace on earth, can it be? And it struck me. But my initial response to hearing that question somewhat surprised me, because if I'm honest, I was a little bit cynical. It's like, peace on earth? Isn't that a bit of a tall order? (laughs) Sometimes I, it's just a good day when, I, when my kids get along, right? Or I just, I just want a little peace in my own head. Anybody with me on that? Yes. But peace on earth. Really? I mean, in this political, cultural, societal climate that we're in right now, where you're not always sure who the good guys and the bad guys are. Peace on earth. When there's still so much pain over how people have been mistreated across the world based on the color of their skin, how they vote, where they're from, you name it. Peace on earth when it seems like people are just fine shouting at each other online in the comfort of their homes and they never have to listen to anybody who disagrees with them. Peace on earth when family members aren't even talking to each other because of their vaccination status. He's getting real, isn't he? (laughs) Peace on earth when millions of babies are being aborted and millions of children are being abused and trafficked in our nation and around the world. So, man, forgive me for being a little cynical, but my initial response is, really? Maybe I'll just focus on peace in my family peace in me. Can that be? <laughs> but the thing is, when I think about Christmas, <laughs> I think about peace in me. I think, well, maybe after Christmas I'll find some peace. <laughs> in the midst of all the responsibilities, distractions, the, the events, I, I'll find peace in a little while. But let me get through this season first. But Christmas is a time when all of a sudden we start to have a little bit of belief again that there might be peace possible. You know that moment when you're staring at the Christmas tree at night, the lights are off and everybody's gone to bed? You start to feel a bit of peace. When you're around a table with people you love, you're all laughing, a bit of peace. When we're singing Silent Night at the Christmas candlelight service coming up here in a bit, peace. But then again, eventually the decorations go home. I'm sorry, the decorations come down, everybody goes home. And we all end up with that same question. Peace in me, peace in us, peace on earth. Can it be? And the question I'm asking is, can it be that we find not just a temporary feeling of peace, but lasting peace? And with these questions... We come to the God of Christmas, and we're going to start by looking together at one of the oh so familiar Christmas passages uh, in Isaiah. But as we do, we're going to ask this question. First off, what is peace? What does God mean by peace? You know, Jesus said in John 14 that Peace I live leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. He says my kind of peace is different from anything else the world can give you. But what is that? And how is God has God brought and is still bringing that peace into our real world? So we're going to turn together to a couple verses that some of you probably memorized. Isaiah chapter 9 verses 6 to 7. And if you want to turn with me it's in page 560 of the Blueback Bibles in front of you. What is God's peace? And how did and does he still make it a reality today? Isaiah chapter 9 verses 6 and 7. For to us And of the greatness, or it can be translated, the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. Before we dive in, I'm going to lead us in prayer. And I say, God, as we open your word, may you give us the faith to believe that it's true. But not just believe that it's true, but believe that it's you want to bring about this reality that we just read into our everyday lives. And so God, will you not just challenge us, but encourage us, comfort us, change us by your spirit and by your word that we might become like Jesus. In your name we pray, everybody said, amen. Now I don't know about you, but anytime I read Isaiah nine six and seven, I just I, I start to feel a song coming up. Anybody feel that? "Handles Messiah for unto us the child is born for unto us." If we had time, man, I'd section you guys out and make you sing see, all that. We don't have time. So I, I, I sorry, I had to just get that out of my system. But as we looked at these verses, what is it that they are promising? We often sing it, and these words, especially when you're familiar with something, just start to go right past our heads instead of sinking in the reality that we're singing. What is it that these verses are promising? And we see that they're not promising a temporary peace, but an endless peace. But what is this kind of peace? How is it different from that which we know in this world? And where does it come from? Let me start here. The peace of God isn't just the absence of fear or war, but it's the presence of a king. You know, I've often just thought of peace as the absence of anxiety or when conflict goes away. That's peace. You know, when people stop fighting, that's peace. And at times when the Bible refers to peace, that's exactly what it's referring to, right? The absence or removal of opposition, But in other times, like Isaiah 9, peace refers not just to the absence of conflict, but the presence of something far better in its place. You guys with me? Because this is key. So I want us to hear that question again. Peace on earth, can it be? Let's look back. Let's turn our eyes to Isaiah 9, verse 6. For to us... Meaning, here in this world, our world, a son will be born who will bear the burden of the government. Meaning, he's a king. There's a king who's coming. But what kind? Well, he's quite different than other kings. Because he's going to be a wonderful counselor. His counsel and his wisdom will be wonderfully matchless. He has divine might that will stand up against all that evil can throw at him until evil has nothing left to throw. His endless love or everlasting love is that of a father's. And he has come to establish what? As the prince of peace. Next verse, verse 7. And it says, of the greatness or the increase of his peace will be no end. End. That means that this king is the king to end all kings. He's the final king. And he's promised to come from the line of David, which God promised all the way back in 2 Samuel chapter 7. And he's also the ideal king, for he will come acting only from justice and righteousness, not violence and coercion. And how does all this happen? the zeal of the Lord of hosts. Only God can do this. See, God has promised an ever-increasing peace through his everlasting King. I mean, let that sink in. But perhaps what will help it sink in better is to understand more in depth what the Bible means by peace. What is Isaiah talking about here? See, God's king did not come just to remove conflict, but to make us and all things whole. You know, the Old Testament was written in Hebrew. And when the original language of Hebrew uses a word shalom when it refers to peace. But shalom is difficult for the English language to capture. The word peace doesn't capture the full meaning of it. Because the word shalom doesn't just refer to the removal of hostility, but it's the restoration of something or someone to a state of completion or wholeness. For example, shalom isn't just the absence of fighting, but it's now people working together for each other's benefit. It isn't just the removal of fear, but it's the saturation now of God's love. Shalom isn't just a garden without weeds. It's a garden that is teeming, full of vibrant life. See, God's peace is, for an individual, a state of total well-being. Do you notice when the angels came, they said, Peace in goodwill. Right, You see that? They're saying the total well-being of the individual. Shalom is a picture of a society that is flourishing. But see, prior to human sin, the Garden of Eden was in a state of shalom. But when human arrogance and selfish desire led us away from our Creator, not only did we lose shalom in our relationship with God, but also with each other. And all of life across its complex and moving parts got out of whack too. And instead of shalom came shame, confusion, hatred, and greed. But Isaiah 9 is saying that when this child is born, he will not only remove the hostility in our hearts toward God or between humans with each other, but he is coming to restore shalom, everything to wholeness, completion, the way God had it to be. And you see, this is the good news of Jesus. Some people think the good news of Jesus is, well, he forgives me so I got to go to heaven one day. Well, that's part of it. But the full complete picture is that he came to usher in his shalom. And the Prince of Peace has to be God's king. Because only God created us, which means that only he knows what it looks like for us to be made whole again. So it has to be God's king. And when he saw our sin, And he saw the brokenness within us and across all aspects of our lives and society. He moved in mercy to be born among us. I mean, right? It's unbelievable. And this is the true joy of Christmas morning. It's true joy of Christmas morning that heaven's king came down to our earth. But instead of leaving us searching for a facade of peace in our human power, Christ came in humble love to be our everlasting peace. So 600 years after Isaiah penned these words, they were realized in history. And then Luke tells the account, the story, in Luke chapter 2, verses 1 to 7. And in this story, I want you to notice something, though. This is the the story of Jesus' birth. But I want you to see something here. That in this story, we read seven verses, Luke 2, 1 to 7. He mentions two different kings. See if you can pick out who these two kings are. Luke 2, 1 to 7. For them. All right, who were the two kings he just mentioned? I'll give you a hint one's Jesus, okay? Who's the other? Caesar Augustus. Now, why would Luke tell the story putting these two kings right next to each other? Because he wants us to see a comparison between the two. He wants us to see a comparison. And say, first, we see, because these, these are two kings. They both promised to bring about peace, but in two totally different ways. First, Caesar Augustus claimed to bring about peace, which was, in his mind, an absence of hostility in the world. But it was with, sorry, not by, with dominating power from on high. So Caesar Augustus was the adopted son of Julius Caesar, and he augustus won the throne of rome in 27 bc after a brutal and bloody civil war and once he won the throne he turned the roman republic into an empire and crowned himself as its head and then to add to that he then declared that his dead adopted father julius caesar oh by the way he was a god which makes caesar augustus what son of god and there's this old Myrian inscription that read, sorry, Mir, I say Myrian." Um, can, can, can I give a quick parenthesis here because I just think this is kind of cool. Myria is, 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 Myra is a town in Turkey. That's where St. Nicholas is from, by the way, if you didn't know. Yeah, St. Nicholas of Myra. Funny fact, has nothing to do with this. Back to, okay. Anyway, an ancient uh, inscription was found in that city that read, Divine Augustus Caesar, son of a god, emperor or commander of land and sea, the benefactor and savior of the whole world. So Caesar claimed to be a son of God and savior who would bring about justice and peace to the whole world. Does that sound familiar? Do you see why Luke may set up a comparison here? Yeah. But Caesar's peace wasn't shalom. It was the absence of hostility. He brought about a peace, but it was through fear, violence, and coercion, lording over people and pushing them down until they stopped fighting back. He brought about a peace, but it was at the cost of others. He gave the powerful people the feeling of peace, but it was off the backs of those he oppressed like the Jewish people so that he would just say go get registered for the census and now they had to go and register so they could be counted or else but see the irony of all of this and this is not lost on Luke at all the irony of all of this is that while a man, Caesar, strove for power, God was fulfilling his Isaiah 9 promise the whole time in order to bring about a baby from the line of David who would bring about Shalom. Because it was Caesar's census that led Joseph to Bethlehem so Jesus could be born there in fulfillment of Micah 5 too. This Caesar may have thought he was in charge, but who's really the king? That's right. And did Augustus Caesar's kingdom and peace last forever? (laughs) No. No, he died in 14 AD until a bigger bully came along, and then he claimed to bring peace. But then we see another king. And heaven's king came as a baby to bring his peace to the whole world, but through the means of humble love. Yes, he was born in the line of King David, but he was born to a peasant family. And when he came into the world, he took the leftovers. He was placed in a feeding trough for animals and pushed into a space not even fit for a normal guest. And the way he was born fit the kind of king he would be. For instead of dominating the world to bring peace, this king would come to step underneath the world in order to lift them up to the Father. And that our peace comes not at the cost of others, but the cost of our righteous king. And the same baby who would lie in the feeding trough would allow the beastly Pharisees, the animalistic Roman guards, to consume him. And in going to death, he would descend to the lowest place. But all of this was the plan of God. And Paul said that that was so that he could pay the just penalty of our sin and that we might be at peace with our God. But this peace isn't just about the removal of sin, everybody. It's also about the presence of the life of Jesus within us by his Holy Spirit. And that's why we say Jesus didn't just come to give us peace. He came to be our peace. For it is his life in us that makes us whole. You guys tracking with me? Man, I hope so, because Jesus was the whole human being that you and I were meant to be. He was human as God intended us to be, but we failed to be. But when his life comes and dwells within us, we are made whole. And for all of those who receive him, you too may be at peace with our God. And the very life of Christ, the presence of his spirit, comes to dwell within you. And you can receive him if you have never done that today. Why wait? <laughs> Why wait? You could receive that today. And when we embrace, though, that Christ is our peace, how does that change us? We just talked about how he's a very different kind of king, which means that if we follow him, we're going to be a very different kind of people. But how? With the life of our king in us, we are his representatives of his peace among one another and among, within all our communities. So I uh, catch this vision again. I know I'm giving you a lot of like big stuff today, but, but this is on purpose. Catch this vision again. Isaiah said that the the greatness or the increase of this king's shalom will be without end. And if we know that his life is within us, then that means that we are now participants in the shalom spread that is happening across this world and the universe. That's the grand vision that Paul declared also. In Colossians 1.20, when he said that in Christ, God would reconcile all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making what? Peace through his blood shed on the cross. The Christmas morning was the inauguration. Unto us, a child was born. But God promises that he's not done That his shalom will cover every corner of creation. And so we see as those who have the life of Christ within us. It is our glorious calling to not only invite others to believe and receive God's peace. But then work with them to usher in his shalom to all areas of life. And this really summarizes what our task is as a whole as followers of Jesus. You know, that we are called, yes, first, to make sure that we are sharing the message of Jesus with people so that they may be in shalom with their God. But then with his life within us, we then spread his shalom as we feed the hungry, as we clothe the naked. We show hospitality to the least, lost, lonely, and the last. Do you realize as you raise your kids, your grandkids, that you are working out God's shalom in their lives. As odd as it may sound, when you go to clean somebody else's house, when you care for the aging, when you heal the sick, when you protect the vulnerable, when you work on behalf of the oppressed, when you help someone establish financial health, you are an expression of God's shalom outworking in this world. And so as representatives of the Prince of Peace... What opportunities has God already given you or placed around you to spread, to work for Shalom? You know, we just heard Frank and Abigail a second ago talking about how he's from Guatemala and how now he's seen an opportunity to go and, and bring God's Shalom across that area where he's from. But I want to tell you another story. Six months ago, we lost a dear member of our community and David Wilson at 62 years young. And it was a blow for this community. But especially for his family, his 12 kids, all his grandkids, and above all, his wife, Lynn, who has just been a steadfast presence here. And watching Lynn go through the grief and the pain of loss. I mean, I have seen a supernatural strength and grace in her. But as it would be for anyone, it has been overwhelming too. And among the many questions that she's asked is, one of them is, how am I possibly going to keep up with this house that I live in when her husband David used to be the one who, who did all the repairs? Well, two weeks ago, 30 different people showed up to her house. Some of them were her kids, her kids' friends, and a bunch of them were some of you guys. Just showed up at her house to rake, repair, restore, and worked all day on a Saturday. And as I found out about it after, I didn't even know what was going on, which is like, beautiful for me to see. Because this is a picture of God's people taking the low place to lift up somebody else in order to bring about the reality of God's shalom in her home. I had to say that, shalom in her home. right? Like, but that's the beautiful thing, is that they saw the opportunity that was just right there. They realized they had the ability and the time, and then they committed to it. And see, when we realize that Christ is at work through us restoring all things to himself, then we start seeing all aspects of our lives as his work, don't we? I mean, I've heard from some people say, like, I don't feel like like, like God uses me. Like, I don't think I do enough for God. But I want to caution us, to be very careful that we don't, compare what God has for us to do to what we see other people doing, right? Because don't overlook the ways that he already is working through you, already using humble love to serve and bring his shalom to somebody else. It doesn't matter if it's for a thousand or for one, you are bringing his shalom to this world. You know, next Sunday, We get to participate in Advent Serve Day together. We get to practice some of this, bringing this about in the world. But my hope is, is that Advent Serve Day will be not just a day, but that it will be a spark. Where all of a sudden we're now starting to think, oh, what other opportunities has God already placed around me? And I have the ability and time to be able to do, to bring about his shalom in this world. Because, guys, the eternal king has come to be our peace. And the increase of his peace will not end until every corner of his creation is made what? Whole. So peace on earth, can it be? Well, not only is the answer yes, but it's already begun. It began with a promise and came the arrival of the King. And now, because of that king's death and resurrection, we have his peace-making life within us. And this eternal king has come to be our peace. And the increase of his peace will not end until every corner of his creation is made whole.